are they running from? What have they seen? Whom do they fear? There are five million answers to these questions, and every one of them is a shocker. No, sorry, I saw it. Terror, five million years old, spills into our time to make two worlds collide. What is happening here and now can affect the next five million years. It was what I was afraid of. The thing got a huge intake of energy. The very substance of it seemed to be coming alive. And And you can't see this world any longer. They feel it. They see it. The archaeologist who digs back into the past to unearth more horror than the human mind can bear. Quatermass, the scientist, who comes face to face with five million years of terror. Ronnie, it's Barbara. She's the one. Get down here, quick. She can see into the pit and knows the terrifying truth. He can see into the pit, but he will not believe what he sees. They were coming. Who? What were? Them. Them. He saw the creatures. They were alive. You descend into the pit of hell as you share their horror. Listen, I'm advising you all to leave. There may be grave danger. I tell you, this could be dangerous. Get back! Get back! is Waffle On Podcast. Welcome to Waffle On Podcast. My name is Simon Meddings. And I'm Mark Kelly. And uh, welcome to our, uh, our February Who are you talking show. to, Matt? Are you talking uh, to the reflection? I was actually looking at the... <laughs> yeah, I'm not... Yeah, no. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> uh, hello and welcome to our February show. It's February. Uh, recorded, obviously, in February. In fact, this is hopefully going out tonight. We are a bit late. Uh, this month. Yeah, but you've had problems with the, uh, <laughs> how can I put the pre- If you know Meds, you know what the problem is. He's well, had problems with his direction all his life. So, <laughs> you know. yeah, Unfortunately, I, I came down with the Norma virus, which, uh, 
Well, it's pretty horrendous, especially when the whole family goes down with it. Especially you described one. it as a brown tap. <laughs> it was. It was. You didn't see that on Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> you, you wouldn't want to go for that chocolate painting, my friend. <laughs> no, silly, no, silly. So, yes, anyway, we're talking about... What are talking about, Kel? We're talking about the genius that is Nigel Neal. Indeed we are. But first of all, we'll have a little bit of the old housekeeping. And uh, so, first of all, competition update. Ooh, no, uh, tell me more. Well, sir, if you those people who remember, well, those people who are new to the podcast, hello and welcome. We did a fourth anniversary uh, podcast competition last month. That's a good one. What can I say? And uh, and it was all about basically you had to, there was twenty theme tunes and a bonus one at the end. You didn't have to get the bonus one. That was just for those dedicated listeners who listened to the promos. Um, and you basically all you need to do is to name all of the podcast, oh, all the podcasts, all of the theme tunes we played. And send them in. And we didn't think we'd get any, did we? No, I think we thought we'd have to make someone up. Yeah, which we've done in the past. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, we've had a plethora. Ooh. A plethora. I use the word plethora there, oh. my friend. Uh, we've had a load. Shitload, in fact. A shitload? Shitload. Not everybody's got them right, but round about, I'd say, 60% of them have. So it is, we are going to have a hat. So you're going to have to get, maybe, the Mexican mask of doom. We might have to use the Mexican mask of doom. Yeah, I have got, uh, remember, I have got my cat in the hat top hat. Oh, we, well, we don't need that. It's not that, it's not that popular. <laughs> <laughs> but there is still time. There is still time, dear listeners. We're not going to draw this until we're going to do it live on our next recording, uh, which we'll tell you more about later on. So please do, if you want to enter, uh, please do. We're, we're kind of making up a, a box of uh, tat, really. Including a, a new mug, a waffle on mug, still to be printed, but we will have yeah, it. Yeah, we will And um, some comics, uh, we've got some other stuff. It's all geeky stuff, isn't it? Some geeky stuff. Something arrived the other day that I was going to put in. A wallet. Yeah, a wallet that you put in, Superman wallet. These are all new as well. Yeah, this is yeah, basically me and Meg's there just clearing no, it. Like, like, can't be bothered doing a car boot sale. I'll just put it in a frog. Yeah, you, you ain't going to just get like a pair of old pants. Something like that. <laughs> no, but really. yours, especially after you know it. <laughs> <No, laughs> I can tell you. That's... No, 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 no. Uh, yeah, so that's it. And uh, of course, you all know that we have a Facebook group. And uh, that's awesome for those people that are part of it. If I pause every now and again, it's because... Um, I'm still getting used to this new recording device. If the point is, you might be set up a mirror, so you wouldn't have I to know, bend over. Now you're bending over. but I can't, I still can't see it. Anyway, well, if it all goes tits up, then that's it. Yeah, we've got a Facebook account, and of course yeah. we've got a Twitter account, and just search Waffle On Podcast, you'll find us. got a great group going on there. It is, yeah, because I'm even... Uh, even you I'm not getting involved in it. I know. It's my, no, my new thing is, that everyone I go to the pictures, because the pictures every week, or mm. cinema, as they call it in other places, um, I will put on what gets my go The flicks. The flicks, what gets my guy, E.G., Bruce Willis, stop making Die Hard films. I do have that written down here. Oh, this is what we're giving away, aren't we? As well. That's a lot. Sorry, are we You're looking the only at person who, the person you're staring at it and you forgot it. <laughs> the only person, I can't see the wood for trees. <laughs> no, it's been a long day. Uh, yeah, we're actually giving away the um, our script. So those whoever wins it will actually see how much... Uh, Research we don't do. Yeah. Uh, and we've signed it as well because we thought people might like it. But yeah, you went and saw Die Hard 5. Yeah, I am calling it Die Hard 5. I can't be doing with this another process. What, another what, day to this, die. What, die is, hard is this called another, another day to die hard? Die is hard another day to die hard? Oh no, shit anyway. Isn't it? I realised while you was on Top Gear, didn't they work on the car chase on that? What, on Die Hard? The yeah. stunt team? The stunt team were well done because they, they worked on the swing. Best part of the film is yeah. a brilliant car chase for him. Oh, it would have been a Top Gear stunt team. It's really good. It's like driving on top of all the cars. Do you think that it was the stunt team? I'm sure it was because on Top Gear this week, there's the rugby guys 
I think that was them as well. Yeah, I'm sure that's their stunt team, isn't yeah. it? Because they're brilliant at what they do. No, that's the best part of it. No, it's just, I don't know, we've talked about this before. I think we were talking about this to ourselves, weren't we? I think Mark Camogie talked about it as well. We grew up, we've, we've grew up with Bruce Willis being mm. an action star. Mm. You know, he was, you know, I talked about this on the pub group, that he was the first anti, he didn't have to be bigger muscly, didn't have to be Schwarzenegger, he didn't have to be Stallone or Van Damme mm. or Darth Lundgren. You could be an everyday guy, because Bruce Willis, He's not a stunner, is he? He's an everyday. He was working the bar when he was. Yeah, he's a comedian. Start off with you got you got to think that he was in Moonlighting and the film that I I liked but I totally forgot all about Blind Date. You remember Blind that was Date? Was Kim Basinger, Basinger, yeah, yeah, that was his first big film. Yeah, first big film. Uh, and I really like that. And I and th- there was a little quip on that Top Gear thing where he turns to the camera and give that kind of smirk. Hey. It's exactly With him, he had the glint in his the eye. Glint, the cheeky right? look, the yeah. scally. And I said, he was more like Bruce Willis in that than the whole of Snorfest that was... I'll tell you how bad <laughs> it was. The action bits are on. And I was looking at my phone. No, you, bro- you broke the code of conduct? Because I was bored out of my brain. Yeah. And I was going to go. I thought, I'm going to leave. But I thought, no, you can't because that's a really terrible thing. Have you ever to... walked out of the film? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what's the one about the, uh, the, the robot that comes to life? AI? No, no, no. Really old in the 80s. Short Circuit Short 2. Circuit 2, I walked out of that. I was going to say, you can't walk out of Short Circuit. I like that one, but I walked out of 2. Yeah. Well, it was funny. I was only about 11 at the time. I tried to walk out of ET. You did try to walk out of ET. Mum wouldn't let me. No, because I paid the money. Paid the money, and, and my precocious attitude is I don't like the directing. Yeah. I, generally, I generally wouldn't. I know at our age, I think you know what you're going to like. Oh. It's like me, yeah. if I, you know. I ain't going to go and see Brad Bat Mountain. <laughs> not you, are you? Not really. No, we don't need to. No, not for any... any no, no, I'm just not my cup of tea. Well, I, don't, I don't particularly like uh, Heath Ledger. No, no. Oh, I did, don't, don't care. Sorry. But anyway, let's Well, I went and saw The Hobbit. And, uh, you did, and yeah. I did, and I, you know what? I really enjoyed it. And apart from having to pull up with some prat who went and sat next to me, the whole cinema was bloody... I empty. know, yeah. That annoyed <laughs> me. No need for that. Go to Congress. Um, but no, I had a whole ride to myself, chilled out, sat back, nice glass of water. I did look at my phone a few times. I broke the code of conduct. Yeah, but that was on for a free hour. Well, free 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 and, and it wasn't because of that, oh, I better check Facebook. I ain't that sad. It was just purely for the fact I kept checking the time. <laughs> um, but you know what? I, I, the only thing I didn't quite like about it, although I got used to it, so it didn't ruin the film for me, was that I struggled to accept Richard Armitage as a dwarf. Because Richard Armitage is six foot... And I know John Reese davis is, is also... He, I, so I don't know, but he's in Spooks, was it? He was in Spooks. I don't yeah, know Spooks. Yeah. So he was also him. in Captain America. He was the one who uh, who did the ran off and Captain America chased him during the war years and jumped in that speedboat thing in the Jeep. Ah, oh, yeah. oh, I do know who he is. Yeah, I do know who he is. So, and he's a big, muscly, kind of like... Yeah, he's also in chap- Stride Back as well, which is a program of Sky. Just yeah, yeah, he's yeah, a big yeah. bloke, isn't he? He's a big bloke. So I kind of didn't really believe that, you know what I mean? But uh, otherwise, I, 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 you know, and I know I'm, I'm not an over-expert on The Hobbit. I have read the book, but years and years ago. You know what? I think I have to agree with Peter Jackson when he turned around and says, this is my last time filming anything to do with Middle Earth. I want to use all the apprentices. I want to use the is it Semelian, that thing. Stuff is I want to take all of it and throw it in these three films because you're never going to get it again from this style of filmmaking. And I think the Lord of the Rings, the trilogy, regardless if you find them boring or whatever like that, because some people do, my wife does, she can't sit through that in here. I mean, I love it. I'm mad for it. Yeah, I'm um, I think if you're going to have it, let's have all the content because there's nothing worse than five years on down the line or ten years on down going, oh, I wish you'd film one. then. You know what I mean? And there'd be another one. Because yeah, if he yeah. makes money, yeah. no, no, they can't. They can't. They can't. And, no, and, you know, he's utilising the actors that he's got. He's, he's brought back Christopher Lee. Because let's face it, Chris Lee now, he's, 
getting on. He does look pretty. I mean, he, okay, I know he's got a false nose and he's got a, a weird. He's ninety three now. But and I, I think they filmed all his stuff at Pinewood anyway because there's no way he could fly all the way over to New Zealand. Yeah. But it's great to see him there. It's great to see McKellen back. Elijah Wood still looks like he did back in nineteen ninety nine. Um, yeah, no, I, I I quite liked it. I quite liked it. Yeah. No, I said I'm not. I said I'm not one of these people going to you know moan. I'm just don't. Not my cup of tea. Not your cup of tea. No, no, no. I watch on the telly. Yeah, yeah, no yeah, problem yeah. with that. But I'm not. I can't sit there and be loads of God, bloody. I said, you know me. I told you when I start watching Game of Thrones. Any Game of Thrones fans will mm. know that you watch Game of Thrones. You can't watch Lord of the Rings after that because yeah. it's it's not the same. No. You just want it being tougher and British. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so there you go. Uh, some TV. Um, Ripper Street. Great stuff, isn't it? Absolutely fantastic. Ends this week, last one, this uh, this Sunday coming. Yeah, yeah, and it, you know, and it's still the most complained about programme on the TV, isn't fantastic. it? Fantastic, I love it. Good. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's people have to call the midwife. I know we bang about this, uh, thinking, oh, it's going to be the same kind. No, it's not. I'm not being funny, but well, anything that's you... called Ripper Street, <laughs> exactly. set in London yeah. during Rip... Ripper time. Yeah, that you know Jack Ripper's going to pop up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, like I said, it's really good because I remember when it first came out, everyone was thinking, here we go again. Yeah. We've had so many things like this that end up being crap. Crap. And, just, uh, and I was um, a little bit worried about Matthew. Yeah, I know. I, I, like I said, I don't really know because I don't watch the thing. But you, but you're saying he's not the greatest actor in the world. Well, is he? you know, he's just like, he just seems to be one of the. It's, a, it's an in joke in my eyes because my wife really likes him. Uh, yeah, he's a good looking bloke. He's made to kill yours. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But it was one of the things where everything I saw him in, we looked like a startled rabbit. Yeah, that. You know, rabbit in headlights. And whoo, what's going on? Uh, I saw him in okay, the film. Okay, Derek Nimmo. Yeah, we've, had the, we've had the dog colour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I saw him in the Three Musketeers, you know, the latest Three Musketeers film with uh, Orlando Brown. I haven't saw that. You know what? I, really rather really enjoyable. That, I love that bloody you know, story. It's, it's pretty it's good. It's got Milosevic in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked it. He was alright. Mm. And he was pretty good in it. And he was pretty good. And yeah, you know what? I thought, oh, he's nailed this one. Yeah, a couple of times he does the start thing. But Jerome Flynn... Yeah, he does do it now and again. He does do it. Well, he's hard in it, that's what I like. Now, there's also a secretness to his character. I said what we were saying about it. Me and my wife were sitting there watching it and saying, do you actually... Let's not give it away, because I'm America... No, I was saying, do you actually like him? Mm. And I thought, he's a pretty unlikable guy, isn't he, really? Yeah, he's an anti-hero. He's reserved. He's not nice to people. He treats his underlings like a servant. Do you think he's a little bit like... Is it Rick in Walking Dead? You know, Andrew Lincoln's character. Yeah, yeah. You see what I mean by that? Yeah, especially, in the, especially in the new series. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that. I, yeah. like I said, I like an ambiguous character. My problem with a lot of British stuff is it's too good and bad. In this, you don't, because the good guys in it are not great either. No. The American, like I said, I'm not going to spoil to it. He's not a good guy. No, no, the actors. Uh, Sam Rothenberg. Yeah. But he's not a good character in yeah. that. Good yeah, as you found out, he's not a nice guy, right? <laughs> yeah. Jerome Flynn has got, he's a killing machine, oh, man. as you found out. I'm not going to spoil this video, yeah. but there's a bit where you find out what he did in the war. Yeah. Not a nice guy. And oh, he was during the war. He was during the war, but the point is, he, he, him. Was a fucking, <laughs> he turned into a psycho. Yeah. And he's not, you know, he's quite a tough and he's quite an idiot, really. But how good, how, well, no, 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 he's not an idiot, but he's an idiot. But he's no, an he's just a bit... Very much, he's got where he is, yeah. so he's not a plot. No, he's not an idiot, but... The, but how good is Jerome Flynn? He's brilliant. Yeah, I, mean, well, like said, I, 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 I never watched Soldier Soldier. Nah, I don't I mean, know anything else to do Well, I saw him on stage playing Tommy Cooper, did, and my attitude towards my my attitude towards Jerome Flynn was like everyone's was. It was like oh, Robson and Green, it's Robson and Green, songs, you know, Unchained Melody and all that. Oh. And you think, ah, oh, but. I mean, I saw him playing Tommy Cooper, I thought, man, this guy's got yeah. acting chops. He really has got acting chops. Yeah. And um, I think he's, I mean, he, and fair play to him, he's 
I can't play, you know, you know, handsome guys. Because I think he knows my face, his face. My face, is, my face is grown into my age. He looks brilliant. It no suits him. And, you know, the interesting thing about it as well, it's 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 made a name for itself for word of mouth because I haven't saw an interview with any of the people from it. No. Now, I listen to the radio all day and every old crap film, they've got someone coming on. Not one bit of publicity about it. No. It shows you don't have to. Do you own Flynn's Facebook page, which I remember of? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, because I wanted to get all dates on it. Oh, yeah. That. And um, they post every now and again, but no, and the same. I mean, BBC America have got it. I think it's big. I'm sure it's big. It's got to be big. It's got to be big. And uh, going down a storm over there, possibly the reason why it's probably going to definitely. Well, it well, has been commissioned. It has been commissioned. And I've heard the producer. Emma was reading the producer on Twitter. He was talking about it, and he said, "Oh, now he knows what people want. He's the second series is going to be even darker because right. he said he's got storylines and yeah. he couldn't and do that, it in the first And now people, people, and, those are going to." The Daily Mail. Yeah, they're going to give uh, up. On, they don't yeah. know what they're going to yeah, get, aren't they? Now? You know you're going to get horrible things happening to people. Absolutely, especially because Murder's you know, not nice. Well, let's not say, but you know what happened like this. Uh, mm. uh, another another TV show that both me and you really love that have, uh, uh, has has caused from media complaints, yeah, not right. from public complaints. And let's face it, the people who matter are the people who watch it. Oh, that's all Richard um, about. Is Derek? And that's all he cares about. You know, the perfect example of this, I don't know if anyone out there, I know people might be in this in three weeks' time, but listen to this in three weeks' time, but in the Times this week, at the TV uh, commentator, it's... Um, Caitlin Moran. Caitlin Moran. Her assassination of this programme, it angered me. You know, and I thought, she's talking, but how many people probably read that? What, 200,000 people? Mm. Where one and a half million people are watching <laughs> for 10 o'clock. On a Wednesday night, yeah. that is impressive. And that's, and not, ta- that's thing- not taken into account plus four figures. Is yeah, it? and she was saying this idea that oh, is, you know, it's uh, sentimental. It's meant to be sentimental. <laughs> it's about caring for people. It's about caring for old people. People expect I was going to be hardcore Ricky Gervais. Ricky Gervais has always been like that. If you go back to the original office, there was always sentimental moments well, in the, that. The whole, the whole the story arc for the whole of the office is Tim and Dawn's romance. The, the story arc through extras is Andy uh, Millman's character and um, the Scottish lady's character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a love story. Thing. The story arc through Derek is... Not so much Derek, it's Derek's love for everyone. As she turned around and goes, he's got, his heart is for everybody. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, the last episode, broke my heart. It's yeah. a nice and it's typical that woman, all she wanted was a ring off the, her, of her dying mother. And, but the story up there, of course, is seeing the other woman who cares for these people losing out on her love life. Yeah. So we've got a comment actually, Anthony, uh, Anthony James from, uh, the Scuddercast, our mate, uh, Anthony. Wrote this brilliant thing on, on actually on my Facebook page. It wasn't on, on Waffle, but I asked him if he'd mind if I read it out. And he said, sure, go for it. And I think it's actually a perfect um, review, so if you don't well, mind, I'll, uh, I'll uh, entertain you for this. Uh, this is what Anthony says. Um, Anthony or Ant- Anthony? I mean, I say Anthony. Is he not Anthony? Anthony. Oh, Anthony. I keep dropping oh, I think like Americans are Anthony. 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 Yeah. yeah. Uh, Anthony, yeah. Uh, Star- Stormtrooper James. Uh, Derek is probably my favourite work from Gervais. Although it took me a while to decide whether I liked it or not, first impressions were that it was poking fun at the disabled and elderly and that it shouldn't have been allowed. But a clever twist at the end of the pilot made me reassess what was being shown. It's more about changing existing prejudices and making you look at people differently and as individuals. Each episode seems to have a valid point about how someone is misunderstood in society and who the real monsters are. I love it. Best moment for me was the doctor's office joke that Derek didn't get. And when the young woman went to explain the joke to him, he just turns to her and says, I know but it winds him up when he thinks I don't get it. 
Brilliant stuff. Especially loved all the photos and film footage of the OIPs oh. as young people. That was very touching. I think that. Just I happened. said that. Like I said that was a bit odd. Sorry about that. It was just a really moving bit. Yeah. All these people, they've been left in these homes. There has got you know. There is like I said, it's our society, especially the Western society. There's a you know. I like uh, Richard Grant talked about. This. He said they're youth fetishized in you in Europe and America now. Mm-hmm. If you're over thirty. Forget it. You've got no worth. Like, in, where in mainland Europe and Japan and all that, the older you get, the more, the more important you, you are, right? Yeah, yeah. Especially in Japan. You, you're seen as an important person. Young people want to hang about with old people because they've got stories, experience, all these things. Not in there. We put them in homes. Mm. And this is the, and, that, and, and that's the perfect And that lovely bit at the end where they're all thinking about their youth. Mm. Are you thinking how hard it must be? We've all got to go there. Yeah. What a hard thing it must be to think about your youth when you're being left on your own in a home. Mm. And where Derek hasn't given up on them, they've got as much, he's interested in them as much as a young person. Yeah. And that's what's brilliant about it. You know, it's about acceptance. Mm. You know, he's not disabled. No. There's that brilliant bit in it, isn't it? Yeah. Is he going to kill me? Yeah. No. Oh, the I mean, he's talking about whether he's autistic. Uh, yeah, autistic. Keeps yeah. autistic. Yeah. I mean, it, there is an obvious thing that the fact that Eva Derrick has slight learning disabilities. But, affect his life. but it doesn't change the character. And the fact, I mean, okay, yeah, he's toned it down from the pilot. Yeah, yeah, he was it, doing the thing with the jaw. His jaw, wasn't it? Well, he's, and also, he did, it, that was kind of like, he was, you know, the, the, the old, sorry to use the word, but the old spastic routine that people were doing in the 70s. You yeah, know, yeah, it's yeah. that kind of thing. And I think because he's toned it down, it works even more. And Carl Pilkington is shining, I think. As we said, the only character that doesn't work is it called the Carl, but... Kevin, last, is it Kevin? Yeah, Kevin, yeah. Uh, he's uh, he's uh, just kind uh, of sex play uh, person. But every now and again, there's a reason why you see him there. And I think... I don't think... Gervais is intelligent enough, and he's, let's face it, he's one of the best writers to come out of yeah. That he's doing... That character's there for a reason. Oh, that's all I can something else. Like uh, I had with Life's Too Short, I couldn't... I didn't really like that first season. Had some brilliant bits in it, mm-hmm. and he was so unlikable. And all I'm hoping is what happened with, happened with uh, the Andy office, Milman. didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The second series, Annie Andy Milman, you started really... Well, that was the opposite way, wasn't it? I think, because, I mean, the office went from you like, kind of liking yeah. to not liking it, but, but he's, yeah, he's, sort of he's a friendly he... fool, and the same with Milman. But then the second episode, of course, you know, Brent lost his job and Milman just became an arse. Milman became an arse, yeah. yeah. And then, but then, saved it in the, yeah. in the specials. I, That's I, what, I, I gave up on life. I hate to say it. I gave up on life. No, I had some brilliant, you know, three good, brilliant episodes. Yeah. But the problem is, all the best stuff was the stuff when Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant was in yeah. it. And, you, and the worst thing he should have done was put that in it. Yeah. He should have left they it. Should have, either should have been out of it or got it. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway. Ooh, um, before I forget, um, fill in. Talk about something. <laughs> oh, wait, no, you what? You didn't know? Uh, we've got an iTunes review. And uh, and instead of me having to go onto iTunes, which I knew would be an absolute nightmare, uh, I took a photograph of the review and put it on my phone. Ooh, you say, hey, very modern. I know, I know, thank you. And this is from Wombling Free. Yeah. Uh, uh, 10th of February, this one up, so it's brand new. Oh. Even for non movie stroke TV buffs, essential, essential, essential listening. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say easy listening, that's because I was thinking. No. I was going to say easy listening, that's because uh, I was uh, I was thinking about Jeff Love and his orchestra. Yeah. Yeah. More about that later on. Oh. Okay, and Wombling Free has this to say I'm a movie TV fan, but only as much as the next person. Uh, more into my music, really. What I'm trying to say is I found this podcast fascinating. Bearing that in mind, I have watched all the Sopranos and love that podcast on here. That's a relief. Mm. And also the James Bond podcast on here was brilliant. Uh, I tend also to listen to... You went on that one, didn't you? No, yeah, thanks yeah. very much. 
<laughs> Charms. <laughs> I tend to, I tend to, I, was, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I tend also to listen to podcasts on here, for example, about only fours and horses, which I've seen on TV on occasion like anyone else. But this really opened my eyes to the show. And it's a characters with some brilliant trivia and actors' bios. All I'm saying is even for a non-film buff, this is essential listening. I highly recommend, lo- highly, highly recommend Love Spaced. Uh, I love the space one also. Uh, we'll have to go and rewatch it. Uh, from Rich. Oh, very nice. That was cool. Uh, another one. I'm not sure if we read this one out. This was in October. I think we did. And that was from... Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Uh, I'll read it anyway because I'm not too sure. Great podcast. Shame it couldn't be even longer. And that's from Gavler1973 UK. Found this podcast by accident and have now downloaded every single episode from my iPod and have enjoyed listening to them while I go for my daily seven-mile run. What? Seven miles? Yeah. Every time I run seven miles, it's too no, That's not the usual Waffle I'm fan. As is usually, you sit in the chair for seven hours. <laughs> <laughs> and, eat, and eat stuff, all work. Uh, great subjects and great presenters who never dwell too long, but long enough to make it interesting. Can't wait for the new podcast to come out. Love the Only Fools and Horses one, off Weed's Name Pet one, and Step to and some podcasts. Long may this continue. Well, thank you very much. We hope you enjoy lovely. this one about Nigel Neal. And Cal, what do we do before we do the we podcast? play some type of theme tune. <laughs> And that was a short thing. That was that a short was, thing. Um, because I said, yeah. when, when we did that, I thought, actually, is there any feature? But it, you said there is, isn't there? There is, there is. Now, of course, at the beginning of the uh, the, 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 the podcast, before we started talking, before we banged on for 15 minutes about all that, uh, we actually played the trailer for the film, uh, for the film version. That's what we played mm-hmm. at the beginning. Because obviously you don't know that. Because I think it's a bit like Summer Man, Mark Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, what we've just heard there, of course, was the, uh, the 1979 uh, John Mills theme. That we played just then. That's oh, a short that... one, and it is very short. Now yeah, yeah, yeah. the thing is, is that I did actually find um, a full-length version of the theme done by the brilliant Jeff Love and his orchestra. Now I don't know if the the world knows of Jeff Love, but Jeff Love was an easy listening jazz yeah, yeah. thing. And I, I don't know if you remember, I had all of his albums. Like Reggie Belotsky in uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 Reggie, Reggie. You know, Red Dwarf. Oh, uh, 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 the Scott of Gaston game, Reggie, Reggie, not Reggie Belotsky. That's out of the young ones, weren't it? Reggie. Anyway. Oh, anyway. Uh, yeah, and, anyway. Uh, Jeff loved and he's done like dance disco versions. Now. And for those people, as we say, if you listen to the podcast all the way to the end and you listen to the podcast, there's always a treat for you. Always Sometimes there isn't, and that must really piss you off. Yep. But every now and again, there is a veneer. Well, that might be the treat that they're in now. Yeah, it'll just be a thing there. Fuck you. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Keep that in your head. Keep that in But there will be a Jeff, and there's going to be a Jeff love. A Jeff Love ah, disco disco theme tune at the end. You ain't lived, man, no, no, until no. you've heard the disco version of Closer Games. I don't know why Jeff Love is all But I did find um, the Quatermass theme tune, but I was, mm. I was, and it was Host Planet. Yeah, and, and but, was, was that? Was yeah, it was. That was the original, oh. the, the 50s TV series and 60s TV series. But, you know, I, I don't want to get caught up into which is the real. 
quite a mess. No, well, this is... I'm not, this, this is not about that. No, this, this is about Nigel Neal. Nigel Neal stuff, if you want yeah, it. This yeah. is about being a fan of, of what Neal. it is, Nigel yeah. Neal. So this is a podcast about Nigel Neal. Now, Cal, uh, I'm going to be reading the script, and Cal's going to be jumping in on oh, yeah. uh, every now and again, because he knows he's quite a mess, uh, and I'm just going to be reading out the info about Nigel Neal. So Neal was born Thomas Nigel Neal in Barrow in Furness uh, in, on the 18th of April 1922. Sadly passed away. 29th of October 2006, more about his death later on. Okay? Yeah. His family came from the Isle of Man and they returned to live there in 1928. You've never been to the Isle of Man, have you? No, you know, it's quite an interesting, it's got quite a film history, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It really has, and he loved it. He yeah. did love yeah. he did always love it. I've been to Isle of Man, I love Douglas, so I thought it was really nice. So yeah. It was normal wisdom lived there. Oh, we should say, Blaine not working. Uh, RIP to the wonderful Richard Bryce who passed away a couple of days ago. It's true. And we, how weird that we watched Richard Bryce's film very recently. Yeah, yeah. How weird. And do you want to say what that is? Cockneys versus Zombies. Yeah. And you want to see, people say, you know, Richard Bryce's only, only played nice guys. He does, but he could also play really unusual roles. Yeah. And this is one of them. He's not in it a lot, is he? And no. he, he does look ill. There's no doubt he looks ill. Yeah, he And then had the film doors in the morning. Yeah. But he's brilliant in it. And he's got the best low-speed zombie chase ever. It's, it's about as fast as the, uh, the car chase in Blue Eyes. It's what he's saying, isn't it? Oh, what he's saying. Bloody, 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 bloody zombies! <laughs> but uh, Mr. Jim Moon from Hypnobobs uh, watched it uh, the other night. He liked it. I think he did. He really quite it's really it. good. It's one of the things you think it's going to be crap. It's really good. Uh, no, oh no, that's not no. Uh, yeah, he was educated at St. Ninian's High School and after leaving studied law, trying to become an advocate at the Manx Bar. At the beginning of the Second World War, Neil attempted to enlist in the British Army but was deemed medically unfit for services owing, service owing, owing to photophobia. So, uh, eyes, uh, that's a bright light. Hmm. Which family which he suffered from childhood? Photophobia. Never heard of photophobia. Yeah, I, which just, is why I looked at you going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. no, no, it's just the, <laughs> any, any like fact so it comes from uh, photosensitivity. You know, photosensitivity. Oh, right. nice. It comes from it. Well, yeah, well, it comes from uh, actually from you know your photos. So oh, where right. that comes from, you know, with the actual photo, you can't get light on the. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where that comes from. Yeah, yeah same from your eyes because your eye works like a camera. Now, on the twenty fifth of March, nineteen forty six, Neil made his first broadcast on BBC Radio, performing a live reading of his own short story, Tomato Kane. Later that year, he left the Isle of Man and moved to London, where he began studying acting at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, RADA. Mm. Dear boy. Uh, he made further radio broadcasts in the 40s, including reading of the story uh, Zachary Kribin's Angel on the BBC Light Programme, broadcast nationally on the 19th of May 1948. He also had further short stories published in magazines such as uh, Argosy and, of course, The Strand. Well, the, the interesting thing is, uh, if you read them, because I've got a few of his early stories, you can see he's straight, you know, straight away he, he was quite obsessed. I, I don't know what way on ghosts, right? Because mm. he never talked about what he actually thought about ghosts. Yeah. But he liked writing about them. Mm. I think it was, you know, I think it is possible not to believe in something. You'd be interested in it. Mm. I'm interested in the supernatural, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I'm complete an atheist. I mm. don't believe in anything like that. But you're still going to be interested because people, people make beliefs in that. And some of his ghost stories are brilliant. Were you saying Neil was an atheist or did he have a belief? I don't know. I think he... He's never mentioned anywhere. It won't. He, like, even his book, you know, every time I asked him about religion, he'd say it's private. Well, fair play. I, I don't think he was a, I don't think he was a religious man because he, he really was into science. Mm. But I just don't think he wanted to make... Well, like, Arthur C. Clarke was an atheist and he made a big deal about it. Mm. You know, all his films are about the search for God, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Lewis. Well, there you go. Queer was yeah, a Christian you know, apologetic, wasn't Exactly. It? But the thing is, I think with him, or like uh, uh, Pullman, with, uh, he's, yeah, got, uh, he's like an atheist, <laughs> and it's really, 
Sorry, I was going to say Robert Pullman. Robert Pullman. I was going to say Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman. <laughs> but I just don't think he... I, I, I think he probably was, because he, he was a man who was into rational thought. So <coughs> I just don't think it was a big deal to him. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't think it was then. No, fair, fair. There's fair. always been atheists around, but it doesn't make a big deal about it. Well, you don't need to bang on about it. Not like you don't like religious people banging on about religion. So long as you're not going to be banging on about it. Yeah, yeah. Just keep it to yourself. Have some privacy, as we always say. You don't need to tell the world everything. No, unless you're doing a podcast. Unless you're doing a podcast. Uh, yeah, uh, those Cadbury's. Nigel Neal then began using his name, Nigel Neal, as professional credit. So he dropped the Tom, although, of course, he was still known uh, as Tom to his family and to, friends. To his friends. There's a, there's a lot of actors and writers like that have got different names. Yeah. Not Michael Caine, though. Don't hear him being called Morris, do you? There's no one calling Morris. I don't think so. Yeah. I wonder if he actually changed. No, because he's uh, Maurice Micklewhite. Yeah, he's Maurice Micklewhite. Because so. you can't be, you've got to be you. Uh, mm, not too mm, sure, don't okay. know. I'll have to ask him next time I see him and does he speak to me? Yeah. Uh, no, Neil, <laughs> now, Neil gave up acting to write full time and he did small, but did uh, small voiceover roles in some of his 1950s programme productions, such as the voice heard on the Factory Loudspeaker in Quatermass 2, yeah. uh, for which he also narrated most of the recaps shown at the beginning of each episode. His first professional script. Writing credit came when he wrote the radio drama The Long Stairs, broadcast by the BBC on the 1st of March 1950. Now, this was based on a historical mining disaster on the Isle of Man. In '51, he was recruited as one of the first staff writers to be employed by BBC TV. Michael Barry, the head of drama at BBC TV, spent his entire first year's script budget of 250 quid to hire Neil as a full time writer for the drama department. Neil's first credit role in adult television drama was providing additional dialogue for the play Arrow to the Heart, broadcast on the 20th of July 1952. This play was adapted and directed by the Australian television director, Rudolf Cartier. And the interesting thing is, because I, when I went to, when, you know, there's a brilliant biography about him you can get. And uh, the only thing is, good old B, you can't see any of this stuff. It's all no, I'll come to in a minute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, slightly annoying. Uh, and actually, just saying something there where um, you know the new director general, the new DM of the BBC, who still hasn't yet properly been appointed, you know he's already made huge changes. He's turned around and says, oh, What's this vision? It's called television. Get rid of vision. Oh, no. Audio. No, we do radio here. Get rid of it. Yeah, oh, yeah. I hate all them new says, terms for it. Because we're going to call ourselves what the public call it. Yeah, yeah. It's television and radio. It's a fair play to him. I think we're going to see a good move for the BBC. Well, I think maybe we've already seen it. Yeah, yeah, mate. Entertain people. Entertain and educate. That's the thing, wasn't the it? The premise of the BBC. Yeah. Now, uh, Rudolf Cartier, extremely important man. Um, yeah. it was, this was the beginning of a successful working relationship between the pair that would lead to some of Neil's best-known work. Uh, together they would help to revolutionise British television drama and establish it as an entity separate from its theatre and radio equivalents. And this is where they come into the Quatermass Experiment, broadcast in six half-hour episodes in July and August 1953. The serial told the story of Professor Bernard Quatermass of the British Experimental Rocket Group, <laughs> Great name. and the consequences of his sending the first manned mission into space when a terrible fate befalls the crew and only one returns. The Quatermass Experiment was the first te te adult television science fiction uh, production held at a large television audience grouped across its six weeks and has been described by the Museum of Broadcast Communications as dramatising as a new range of gen gendered fears about Britain's post-war and post-colonial security. Neil was inspired in choosing the character's unusual surname by the fact that many Manx surnames 
begin with QU. The actual name itself was picked from a London telephone directory. Now, the professor's first name was chosen in honour of the astronomer Bernard Lovell. Yeah. Now, the Quatermass experiment was transmitted live, and only the first two episodes were tele-recorded and survived in the BBC's archive. Uh, yeah, I've got... Now, this is this thing. I, I was looking at this today. I'm, this, now, I'm not going to... But now, I've got a bit because I'm going to say something against Doctor Who. I was telling you about it. It's not against Doctor Who because I've talked to you about this today. This is my only thing, this is, right? You've got that brilliant thing that's coming on. I, I mean, you know, in time and space, it's year, all yep. about. But, you know, now what year was that? When did it start, Doctor Who? Uh, Doctor Who started in 63. It's the 50th anniversary. So, yeah. So there you go. So, 10 years before, yep. we had British science fiction. Yep. Now, what did we get? Nothing. <laughs> what do we get about quite a mass? Nothing. We had an hour, what you'll talk about later, we had a one-off thing that they put on a BBC four at past 11 with an amazing cast in it. Yeah, we'll right? Later, yeah. Live. And we'll talk about that. And that's my thing, right? Do you know, I'll tell you an interesting thing as well. It was so well-watched, right, in 1953 that pubs used to bring TVs into the pubs to stop people leaving because they're running around to watch the Quatermass. Wow. First, this is where the idea of TVs in pubs comes in Britain was because of Quatermass. Now, no one knows about these things. And it, no, and it was the BBC thing. They've mm. sort of forgotten about Quatermass. I know because the, I don't think you're going to get in later on. They sold the rights to America and they did make it up a bit. Right? Then it was ITV who brought it back. Mm. And but the boy back, so it just annoys me why we don't get any... Talking about Nigerian and Quatermass, you know, you get loads about Doctor Who. Everyone's Doctor Who fans, but how many Quatermass fans, you know, I don't know any. Obviously, there'll be a few. Well, be, I remember when I went to uh, the Mediterranean <coughs> Fair and there was a hammer mm. store, and I went, you got Quatermass stuff. Oh, we don't keep Quatermass stuff. Yeah. It's hammer. They bought the, they made some of the best, in my opinion, the best films, as we talk about later. Yeah. And, but still nothing, mm. nothing. It's just like the forgotten about science fiction in Britain. And it really does annoy me. Mm. It's like, like, I suppose it's the same in America. With the Twilight get... Zone, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. All you got is Star Trek and Star Wars. You're thinking, yeah. well, there's loads of other science fictions, mate. Um, what, what was it? The Outer Limits as well, wasn't it? I mean, these are, these I are actually, science fiction. I actually right? prefer the Outer Limits and the Twilight Zone. Yeah, it's yeah, actually yeah. weirder. Although but, Twilight Zone had a better theme tune. It's just... More polished and you know had the brilliant beginning and all that. No, no uh, good, good rant, and, and I totally agree with you. I mean, I, yeah, no, I, 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 I like Doctor Who as well, but to me, yeah. it's 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 equivalent. The, tr- the trouble, yeah, I mean, the trouble is, is, is it doesn't help the fact that there's only two. Exactly, I think that's and, the major problem. Like, I mean, it's the biggest thing, a lot as we said about with Doctor Who. There's there's, there's so many uh, Patrick Tryon episodes deleted. In the 70s, for God's sake. Oh, and they were still doing it, but, you know, in the 1977, there's just stuff that we'll talk about later on, it'll get deleted. It's just, just barbaric at the end of the day. But like I say, hindsight is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Um, now, Neil and Cartier, uh, it could be Cartier, Cartier, anyway, uh, next collaborated on the adaption of Withering Heights, and then on to a version of George Orwell's novel, 1984. Now, many found it shocking, and questions were asked in Parliament about whether some of the scenes had been suitable for TV. There was also prominent support for the play, though, from the Duke of Edinburgh, who made it known that he and the Queen had watched and enjoyed the programme. Do you know, there used to be, uh, it was last year, there was clips of it on YouTube, you could find people who put like five minute bits of it, because it, yet again, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. not about it, but bits of it, it looks amazing. And it's really, because he was such a genial guy, and he had such a dark Worst thing, ways like, uh, you know, such a lovely man. A bit like Mark Gatiss, really, as we'll talk about that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And now the second live performance was uh, broadcast on the 16th of December, and this gained the largest television audience since uh, the Queen's coronation the previous year. I mean, that says something, doesn't it? That the second like largest viewing figures since the Queen yeah, yeah. got coronated. And, that, and maybe it's because the Duke of Edinburgh had turned around and said, well, we like it. No, I just think as well a lot of people then were more open to new, new, they wanted new, new experiences and new... Most people couldn't afford to go to the theatre. Yeah. So they wanted all this no, stuff that they had. Like, you just don't get that. You don't get many... Now, there's some things I'm going to read out as we go along this video. You might want to jump into mm -hmm. it. Right, okay. Now, The Creature, an original script by Neil, uh, concerned the legend of the abominable snowman, uh, which was his next collaboration with Cardia. This is broadcast on the 30th of January 1955, followed by an adaption of Peter Ustinov's play, The Moment of Truth, in 1955. Um, crazy stuff when you think about Peter Ustinov. You know, I saw the uh, abominable snowman. Mm. It's got uh, Peter Cushing in it. Oh, it? It's, it's all right. It's all right, but because it's got no budget, yeah, it's filmed in a studio. Oh, right. So all you keep thinking is, it's obviously a studio. You know, there's no breath. Yeah. You know, it's just, you're thinking, it looks very warm there, but it's okay, it's okay. Now, after simultaneously with the transition to Quatermass 2 in the autumn of 1955, Hammer Film Productions released Quatermass X Experiment. Neil was not pleased with the film and particularly disliked the casting of Brian Don Levy uh, yeah. as Quatermass. I want to ask you two, two questions here. Why is it X? Experiment, not experiment. Because it comes is it, from. Is it meant to be X was in the writing? It's where they're going to sell it in America. X come from the B movie, so right. that's what they could put it on. They're yeah. looking X. Get kids in to go and see it. And why, why do you think Neil was not happy with the casting of Brian Because he was American. Because he was American. Uh, I've got to say, he, he, he was the first quite a yeah, yeah. I remember. It, exactly. And it, 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 no, I don't know. He wasn't, he wasn't big fans of America. He had a lot of trouble with America. He had a lot of trouble with America because he was. He was like a quintessential Englishman. Mm. And Hammer were like, well, we want to bring Americans. I've got no, I know people are anti all things like this. I really have got no problem. To me, if you can draw more people into what, if, if more people watch Quiet Mass, brilliant. I don't care who's in it. Because mm. the Quiet Mass cake that is brilliant, whether it's American or British. It does not, I know people are going to go, oh my God, it, it does not matter. He's good in it. Well, the I, thing I is, think, he's quite it's, it's, bullying in it, right? Yeah. And the, the, the idea of the quite a mass character, if you think of that, when you talk about that, with the John Mills one, it was a bit, it was quite reserved and a bit of a bumbling. Which is probably the reason why that one didn't work too well. The took it all comes out. Yeah, it's but, like, but, uh, but the and, done, done everyone. He was like, I'll get it sorted. I, I, yeah. I don't care. Not me. First quite a mass I ever saw was our mum said, I remember mum saying to me, there's a film on that you're going to love because you mm. love Hammer films. Try and watch this one instead of Dracula because that's all I watched when I was a kid. I remember thinking, this is the best thing I've ever saw. Mm. And then when I, you know, what's that? I didn't worry. It's still brilliant. The story's the same. The only thing's different is a character. Well, maybe, it's got a different maybe though, that's because you're looking at it for, uh, purely for the story's point of view. I mean, that, that film was the first time I ever saw Quiet Mass, a new Quiet Mass. I didn't know there was another version of it because that's what I saw on TV. So when John Mills come along as Quiet Mass, I was thinking, I thought Quiet Mass was... <laughs> It was American. American. So, you know. But it doesn't, it doesn't ruin the story. Like I said, if you watch that and you're, you're that put off, mm. look at the story, listen, read or listen to the story. Forget about an accent. Yeah. It's only an accent. But it's a bit like, I mean, I, I do, you know, I mean, I draw the line at having uh, an American bond, but I'm open to a colonial bond. So it's like Australian, well, we've had an Australian, we've had a Welshman, we've had an Irishman, yeah. we've had a Scotsman, we've had an Englishman, and I'm kind of hoping we might have an English German. 
Oh, he's doing his show, EG. Oh, Mark, yeah, yeah. Michael oh, Fassbender. Yeah, Fassbender but, uh, yeah. We'll get to that in uh, the Fast member. Fast. Doesn't have to shine. <laughs> um, now, Quatermass 2 was Neil's final living just script for the BBC as a staff writer, but he continued to write for the BBC on a freelance basis. Now, the same year as he left the BBC, Neil wrote his first feature film screenplay, adapting Quatermass 2 for Hammer Film Productions. Okay, so Neil was disappointed that Brian Donnelly returned in the role. Donnelly. Don Levy, yeah. uh, not Brian Connolly, uh, yeah. returned the role of Quatermass and the film premiered at the end of May 1957, directed by uh, Mr. Val Guest. Now, 57 also saw the release of another cinematic collaboration between Neil and Guest, where Neil adapted his 1955 BBC play The Creature into the Abominable Snowman. This is what you saw, not the TV play. Ah. And this was where Hammer retained the star, uh, oh, it could have been, retained the star of the BBC version. Ah, you're right, Peter Cushing, yeah. So BBC, Peter Cushing started in the BBC version. And also the film version. He's brilliant. I was wondering. I wonder. We've been for Peter Cushing fans. Do you think, is that creature, (laughs) the creature of the film, available on Blu-ray? And if so, does he have both versions of it? That'd be interesting, actually. A lot of Norman Hill stuff. That's what I was telling you about. As we're going to talk about something like Ron's only coming out for the first time in nearly 40 years. Looking looking at you, Mr. Jim Moon. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember right now. Uh, In May 1957, um, Neil was contracted we'll talk about Hammond at the end of the remind me about that because we are going to talk about Hammond aren't we mm-hmm. now uh, in May 1957 Neil was contracted by the BBC to write a third Quatermass serial and this was eventually transmitted as Quatermass and the pit across six weeks in December 1958 and January 59 Neil was inspired by the Notting Hill uh, race riots that occurred in August and September 1958 drawing audiences up to 11 million Quatermass and the pit has been referred to by the BBC's own website as simply the first finest thing the BBC has ever made. Uh, a lot of he's inspired by a lot of tragedy, isn't he? It, uh, it, I just think if I was going to give anyone who didn't know, say someone got to you, oh, I want to, I, I want to watch some Nigel Neil quite a mass. What am I going to watch? To me, it'd be quite a mass on the pit. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's got everything he thought about. A uh, bit of mysticism in there, bit of devil at the word because it's all about the thing. It's about that's Sat- up at Hobbs Lane, isn't it? Yeah, you've got Star yeah. for the Satanism. Then you've got rockets from Mars. He's really obsessed with space travel. When a lot of people weren't talking about it, he's really interesting. Like I said, rioting and uh, the, the breakdown in society. It's got all these things in and some damn fine overacting in it, which can't be <laughs> wrong. And you love your overacting. Oh, I bloody love it. William Shatner. Yeah, yeah. Voithins. Oh, I bloody love it. And, uh, no, it <laughs> Pat McGowan. I do love it. It's, it's such a perfect little movie. Mm. And it's, a, and you know, the ending as well for a film in the 50s it, where it's it, got someone... Was it the movie sa- from the BBC? Well, this is the BBC we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's, it's the same. It's the same. So did they make it... Because this is the sixth serial thing. So did they put them together to make a movie then? Or was, well, it, was this remade by Hammer? Remade by Hammer uh, and used so all... So both versions, you, you get the thumbs up from you for both versions. I love them. It's me. It's the bit... Because all they did, because it did so well... So who played Quatermass in this BBC version? Well, it's, um, I don't know, It's the, he's, he died in the 60s. Oh. Uh, he did the first... If, if I was any good, yeah. I would have yeah, put that in the script. No, no, he did the first, he did, um, he did do the first one. It was a different, the first uh, actor left because he was a drunk. <laughs> and uh, then they brought someone in for the two who was really peeved off that they didn't ask him back for the film. But the film was a different market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and to me, you can watch, like I said, I've got both of them. I absolutely love them. Yeah. And you know, you know, it keeps the bleakness of it, and you know, about people, which is important. Yeah, you know, the, the the sacrifice at the end. You know, this weren't, you know, oh, we don't know all the the good guys. Get the the good guys don't. Mm. The, he dies. The good guy dies. Yeah. <laughs> 
1958, Neil's playing Mrs. Wickens in the fall, transmitted by the BBC, the previous year, was remade by the CBS network in the United States, retitled The Littlest Enemy. The script was severely cut back, and Neil was not pleased with the result. Uh, to quote, I made up my mind I would never, ever again have anything done on the television network in America, he later commented. Yeah. Now, do you think that Neil was too dark for American TV at that time? Yeah. What would be more ideal for American well, TV now? I, I definitely... I, 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 I don't... I don't... I think I don't always think it was his darkness because there was a lot of dark stuff with the Twilight Zone. I just think it was his, you know, it, a lot of with Nigel there was like we're all fucked. <laughs> I, I, I can't think of a nicer way of saying it. He's like everything hmm. is not going to turn out good. Yeah. You know, people are bad. It, you know, science is not bad. No. People are bad. Yeah. People use science. Science on its own is good. God on its own is good. Yeah. But people use it, and that's what he was all into. Use it, people use it by their own means. Yeah, I just think, you know, and as well, he's supposed to have been not the easiest person to get along with. And I don't mean that in a weird way. I just think he wouldn't, he wouldn't change anything. Mm. And I think when you go from a little, being a little right at the Isle of Man, and you go to America to CBS, they're going to want you to change for American audiences because yeah. we haven't got the same references. He was not into that. I said, oh, well, I wanted to be... Well, well it's not going to work. It's not it? going to work. I, I used to be like that. Well, you are like that when you're young. Yeah. Didn't you? I did, but it don't work like so that. So really, he was just too stubborn. Didn't he? he was a quite a stubborn well, this, person. This, this comes across a little bit like a which, which I'll, I'll, you, you'll be able to detect it when I say now. For the next few years, Neil concentrated mostly on film screenplays and adapting plays, especially one like John Osborne. Now, a notorious character to get along with, but apparently Neil got on quite well with Osborne and adapted uh, his plays uh, Look Back in Anger and The Entertainer in 58 and 60, respectively, both for director Tony Richardson. Now, Harry Saltzman, uh, the producer, seemed to be, was the producer of those films for Osborne, um, he approached Neil about scripting a project he was working on to adapt Ian Fleming's James Bond novels uh, for the cinema. Neil was not a fan of Fleming's work and <laughs> turned the offer down. Uh, now, I can't see him doing Bond no. anyway. No, the thing with the, the, the thing with uh, Fleming, he wasn't the deepest writer. He was quite. He was all yeah, about was, the surface. Wasn't spies, he? spies, guns, guns, people, being heroes. With Nigel Neal and his stuff, the heroes were always a bit more ambitious. He didn't really know if they were a hero yeah. or not. Even, even quite a mass. Is he a hero? Well, not really, because he caused a lot of the crap. The, all the reason he basically <laughs> was mopping up the mess, but he caused. Yeah. Now, further adaptions Neil did work on were HMS Defiant in 62 from the novel Mutiny by Frank Tilsley and First Men in the Moon, the 64 novel, of course, by H.G. Uh, Wells. Uh, Neil then wrote The Road. For the BBC, which was broadcast in September 1963, the play concerned the population of an 18th-century village, okay, who became haunted by visions of a future nuclear war, and was followed by several further one-off dramas. Now, there was a, f- a book brought out not long ago, *The Road* by uh, Cormac McCarthy, yeah. about which is a post-apocalyptic tale. This, to me, is a bit too close for comfort. Yeah, 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 am yeah, I yeah. being a little bit? Am I reading too much into that, or do you think? It's I, a bit- I don't know because I think. Uh, like I said, I think people in the know in writing knew about Nigel Neal. Mm. I think he was the thing with Nigel Neal. He's not on everyone's. Everyone don't know him like all like all the great writers. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, Isaac Asimov. Everyone knows him. Mm. Nigel Neal isn't like that, and I, 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 I think there's definitely the bleakness he would have. Yeah, I'm not saying that. I'm not no, saying no, that. Probably can't be that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think if you probably asked him, I'd probably say, "Oh yeah, I, I know about Neal. Yeah. I know he did that road thing." Because mm. yet again, you can't see that. 
I, there's a big bit in the book about that and I thought so really wanted to see and you can't it's really worth saying actually this thing podcast is just going to really irritate me it's not there no 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 no, no. Uh, in 1966 Neil worked again for Hammer Film Productions when he adapted uh, Noah Loft's 1960 novel The Devil's Own into the horror film The Witches uh, Neil had first worked on a screenplay for the adaption in 1961 the same year in which he had begun to adapt Quatermass in the Pit for Hammer the film version of Quite the Must Piss, the, the Piss, and the Pit took, uh, I'm keeping that one in, uh, took several years to reach the screen, eventually being released in 1967. This was Neil's final film credit, uh, credit work. A particular critical success was the Year of the Sex Olympics, broadcast on BBC Two's Theatre 625 series in July 1968. Now, this starred. I don't even know about it. But the, I, I, I know all about okay, right. so I, I shall point to you to jump in. Uh, you can, available on network uh, DVD. Yeah, yeah, you can get it now. You yeah, can get really it. Yeah, I'm It's slightly annoying, but I'll let you know about it. Now, this starred Leonard Rossiter and a very young Brian Cox. Um, this was Neil's first television work to be made in colour, although only a black and white copy now survives. What was that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's like there's a John Pervy one that was only in uh, colour but that's what the story is based in a future where the majority of the population are kept in a docile state by constant broadcasts of, broadcasts of pornography and other low-brow reality television programmes mm. hello Channel 4 um, the live live show in which a family are watching 24 hours a day are watched sorry 24 hours a day as they struggle to live on an isolated rural island becomes a massive success especially when a murder is introduced murderer is introduced into the setup. The year of the Sex Olympics has been praised for foreshadowing of the rise of reality television programmes, such as, of course, Big Brother and Celebrity Love Island. Yeah, now, uh, the, sorry, and also, okay, now Charlie Brooker must be a fan. Charlie Brooker is a massive fan, yeah. right? Charlie Brooker, when he sit down to watch Black Mirror, he basically watched all the Nigel Neal stuff, yeah. and he said, like I said, if, when you hear about that sex symbol, you think, that was wrote then. Mm. You know, if you mm. wrote that now, you'd be hardcore. Yeah. Do you know? And I, I, I said, I want them to remake it because I've only ever saw. I re- really did that. No, I think they could do a new one because I think now. Do you think it. Yeah, but it's, now, it's, it's, it's but now true. It's boring now, though, because now, you. let's face it, people who go on Big Brother. I don't know if it's the money's still, the prize money's still there, but wasn't it. Oh, you get 10 grand if you end up having, if you end up having, um, you know, sex on camera, yeah, so yeah. to speak. So if you're, um, so people are used to that. People are kind of like got that kind of thing in them. Yet in 1968, that wasn't there. So yeah. I think, I think, I think people should just watch that one and keep that one because we make it's like, well, yeah, we know what people. Like, like, said, it's a, like I said, why the BBC never repeated it? Mm. They've got these weird loads of these amazing programs in there that they never show. Yeah. Like I said, you're going to talk about the other one in a minute. It took all these times to come out. But that I've said I saw one episode of that Sex Olympics, mm. and it's a, I mean, but it so as your wife just walks yeah, in, yeah, and there we are talking about the year of the Sex Olympics. Yeah. It's so bleak, mm. and I mean, it's not an enjoyable watch. But this is what he was saying. This is what society will become, and yeah. it, it's unbelievable what's happened. Do you know what I mean? What about you know what happens now when someone? Let me talk about this. Charlie Booker saying someone dies in the fourth down. Falls down, dies in the street now. It's like, oh, what do people do? Get the get phone out, out yeah. and film it. Yeah. Crashes. Yeah. Why do people do that? Voyeurism. Yeah, and that's what that was all about. That, that's the only thing left to humans that they want to see is violence. 
it, it's an amazing thing. I think, like I said, it's graphic when it's made, so it's a bit ropey. Yeah, 1968. You know, a lot of the things then really. It's got Leonard Vossa to it, which yeah, makes yeah. Just feels yeah, yeah. Now, okay, so uh, Neil's next script for the BBC, this is your uh, one of your ones here, uh, was The Stone Tape, a scientific ghost story broadcast on Christmas Day 1972. God, imagine Christmas TV like that. I know. <laughs> God's sake. Now, that's just, you've just saying that that's just, just being released. He's just, he's being, I saw it because, I, I, yet again, I've not seen all of it because it's never been repeated. Mm. I've saw like illegal, uh, you know, uh, YouTube. Dies old. Uh, Brian, Brian, he was a massive Nigel Neal fan, and uh, when I was around here, he, was, he had some illegal copy, mm. and it was so bad, you could dust about seeing, uh, yeah. but he said that's all you could get, and you know, it was pretty amazing, and I thought, why didn't they release that, and I looked at it, and then I saw, I was looking at Chris, I was looking at the thing, the, the release dates, and I saw it, so it's coming out Oh, well, maybe, maybe, maybe if it, when it comes out, we'll do a special, like uh, a, a, a little mini waffle. It's an amazing... It. I don't know what I'll get it. I'll get it. Yeah, okay. I know you're about going to get it. Yeah, you? yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. There's a few things that. Well, once I get back from Australia, then uh, I will. And there's a few things that we want to get from Network. Yeah. I'm not going to get the boo box set. Like no, 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 no. <laughs> now his final BBC work was an entry into a series called Bedtime Stories, adapting traditional fairy tales into adult dramas. Something again that's been copied of recent. Yeah. Uh, um, Neil's script Jack and the Beanstalk was tra- transmitted 24th of March, 1974, and marked the end of his BBC writing career. Neil moved to work for another of uh, the ITV companies, Thames Television, who in 1977 commissioned the production of the series, scripts of Neil's previously abandoned fourth Quatermass serial, and he starred John Mills as Quatermass, and with a budget of over £1 million, more than 50 times the budget of Quatermass and the yeah. pit in 58, the serial was not as critically, critically oh. successful as his predecessors. Uh, you know... I saw, um, I watched an, uh, um, about... Uh, 20 minutes ago on YouTube yesterday. It, it, it's like everything was about it was right. Yeah. It was, you know, Britain in the late 70s was falling apart. Yeah. So didn't have to do much for sex because it's about the society <laughs> falling apart. Yeah. It had bloody John Mills, who's one of England's great actors. I don't care what anyone says. Absolutely. As we found out on that wicked program we watched at Christmas about the war films. Oh, great, yeah. great actor. A lovely, a really brilliant bloke. Everything was right. Nigel Neal, but it's bloody boring. It's boring. It's slow and paced. For God, and you're thinking, what went wrong? And I think it showed you, in the, the, towards the late 70s, the BBC were losing the way, weren't they? Yeah. I think a lot of the best talent had gone to America because we were getting that under tax rates. Yeah, well, Everyone was moving. So who was, and that's, and it's like, it should be everything that Simon McCork and Dale hmm. Really good, but it's just boring. It's just, yeah. And I, I remember what I was thinking, this can't be a Nigel Neal script. I, I just I don't know what went wrong with it. I think it shows you why it never got made in the. So I think it was his weakest story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just to show there that Neil's next television series was a departure from his usual usual style, and wrote Kinvig, uh, his sole attempt at writing a sitcom. In 1982, Neil made another one-off diversion from his usual work when he wrote his only produced Hollywood movie script, Halloween Three: Season of the Witch, on the proviso that it would be a totally new concept unrelated to the first two films, which he had not seen, and nor did he like what he'd heard of it. Um, Neil got on well with the director assigned to the film, Tommy Lee Wallace, but uh, one of the backers, Dino De Laurentiis, insisted upon the inclusion of more graphic violence, and a rewrite of the script from Wallace. Neil became displeased with the results, and of course had his name removed And he's Alan Smithy. And you know, and, and in his biography... It's got the original scripts, bits of the script was going to do with that film. Yeah. And he had a brilliant idea. 
who was going to make it like um, his favourite film was The Wicker Man. Mm. He loved The Wicker Man, which it's understandable because it's a kind of thing. He wanted when it was about an Irish American community who were completely closed off from the rest of America and lived in like feudal times. Yeah. That's what he wanted to do. Yeah. And you know, that's not a mainstream major film called Halloween 3, is it? So this is where <laughs> he, went, he had a bit, he had a massive falling out. And I thought, why, what did he think he was going to get? This was, in it, again, a lot of arrogance from Britain. We, we'd go over there, we'd make whatever we want. Mm. He was only a small fish over there. Which is the reason why the, the British film industry started to collapse pretty badly in the late 70s and early 80s. Yeah, all, you know, all the great films have been made, and a lot of British films in the 70s were crap, weren't they? And I think, I, you know, I sort of agree with what he was doing, but then again, you shouldn't sign on to something. You're not the big... Yeah, we, as you say though, when something's like called Halloween three, it's a bit, it's a bit like going into you know Nightmare on Elm Street four and not having Freddy in it or something. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's going to have, it's going to have people being chopped up with knives. Uh, he really returned to writing scripts for British TV, including Gentry with Roger Daltrey uh, for ITV in 1987, and in uh, 1989 adaption of Susan Hill's novel The Woman in Black. Now. Susan Hill herself did not like some of the changes that Neil had made uh, to The Woman in Black, referring to The Woman in Black adaption. Uh, Kim Newman noted that he was very offended at the notion of Susan Hill using the name of Kipps from H.G. Wells as the hero of The Woman in Black, and so he decided not to use it and to change the hero's name to Kid. I'm sure if somebody thought that Quatermass was a silly name and changed it, he'd be furious. Again, this is another... Example of um, yeah. Neil's stubbornness, I suppose. Well, no, he said he, he, he was supposed to be a lovely, lovely bloke, mm. but dust. I ain't changed. Like, hold on a minute. I ain't changed, you know. Yeah. And, you know, it's about working with other people to make the best. <laughs> the best writers. Uh, adapt, one adapt the too. The adapt. Yeah, yeah. And they're flexible and they might change yeah. things to make it work, wouldn't they? You know, sometimes you, you, you can change stuff and make things better. Now, I, I've got something for you. I don't know if you know this. Right. Because I know you're a fan of this man. You like your Sean Bean, don't you? I do like Sean Bean. You like your Sean Bean. I do like You do like your Sean Bean. Now, Neil adapted Sharp's Gold for ITV in 1995. I didn't know that. <laughs> there you go. There you I go. I say... I was both sharp, a bit boring, did you? It was a bit boring. I he thought he'd be like to fight you, but there's no... There was a bit, there was a bit of that, and there was a bit of, what's the name of Elizabeth Hervey getting a boot? Well, that's where everyone remembers that, that's where everyone wants to do, weren't it? He, uh, yes. Yeah, um, yeah. He returned to writing, certainly weren't sure of me, uh, he returned to writing for radio for the first time since the 50s, and in 1996, when he wrote the drama documentary, The Quatermass Memoirs, for BBC Radio 3. While recording an audio commentary for that film in 1997, uh, which was Quatermass in the pit for the, the uh, DVD yeah. release, Neil speculated about a possible Quatermass prequel set in 1930s oh. Germany, involving the young Quatermass becoming involved in German rocketry experiments in the 1930s and helping a young Jewish woman to escape the country during the 1936 Berlin Olympics. Neil was invited to write for the successful American science fiction TV series The X-Files, uh, but declined the offer. Uh, his final professional work was an episode of the ITV legal drama Kavanaugh QC yes, yeah. starring John Thor in an episode called Ancient History again about a Jewish woman who during the Second World War was being subjected to horrific experiments in a concentration camp transmitted on the 17th of January 1997 and is cited as one of the programme's finest episodes it brought Neil's writing career to a close after more than 50 years in 2005 he acted as a consultant when the digital television channel BBC4 produced a live remake of the Quatermass experiment. This, this starred Jason Fleming as Quatermass, Mark Gattis as Patterson, and David Tennant 
as Dr. Gordon Biscoe, now Fleming, Jason Fleming, changed the line during the live broadcast to say, good to have you back, Doctor, instead of good to have you back, Gordon, as a sneaky nod to the fact that David Tennant had just been given the role of yeah, uh, yeah. the Doctor, but no one else knew. He lived in Barnes, London, until his death on the 29th of October, 2006, at the age of 84, following small strokes. Now, the last couple of things there that he wrote, uh, the idea of having quite um, a mass in the 1930s and helping a young Jewish woman escape uh, Nazi Germany, and then his Cabinet QC episode, in which another Jewish woman, is uh, her case is about being subjected to horrific experiments in a concentration camp. Do you think this is... I mean, I'm asking you this a bit yeah, earlier No, on, no but... I know it's a well-known, it's been yeah. talked do you, about. It is, do you think this I, is the fact that he felt guilt because he, lot, he didn't serve in World I War I think II. a lot of men who couldn't get in felt shame yeah. after the war. They felt shame that they couldn't fight when everyone you knew fought and you didn't. Yeah. And I think he was always, anything, always trying to save someone. Yeah. And I said the war was always there. Yeah. There was always war on the, on the thing, or war mm. between people. Definitely, I think... He, he, like you said, he wouldn't even talk about it a lot, really. No. Like I said, he was a very private man. He didn't really know about, about him. But I definitely think you're right. You picked up on that, but a load of Nigel Hill fans have picked up. He was, yeah. He was yeah. definitely on his tip of his tongue. Now, we have a comment. Uh, Nigel Bromley, uh, uh, one of our loyal listeners. Uh, Hi, Nigel. Uh, he, uh, he sent this and he passed this. Uh, I remember watching the two movies when I was a kid, late 70s or early 80s. Experiment gave me nightmares. I still uh, look at the cactus with great suspicion even now. Surely this is right for Mark Gattis to resurrect it. What do you think? Uh, yeah, because Mark, Mark Gattis or Gattis, or whatever he was on. Is it Gattis or Gattis? I don't know, Gattis. Um, he's a massive Nigel Hill fan. He was one of the first to tweet when he died. Yeah. I, I know that he's a Nigel, Nigel Neil fan. If, you know, I think anyone from that ilk, if you know about your British writing, you know, like I said, there's more to British science fiction than Doctor Who. Doctor Who yeah. This is what I'm on about. He's got nothing to do with Doctor Who. I love Doctor Who. But, you know, it's like Nigel Neil's got nothing to do with no programs about him when he died. Nothing, mm. N- you know. Well, we're going to, I'm going to advertise this quite a bit on uh, on Twitter and Facebook, so hopefully we'll try and get some retweets from prominent people. Uh, now, I mentioned to you earlier on that one of the misconceptions is the fact that Nigel Neil wrote an episode. Oh, no, 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 let this, no, you told it, because this yeah. is a thing that I knew, I thought was true. No. He, Loads uh, of people talk about it. He was asked to write an episode of Doctor Who around about 66, so three years into the run of Doctor Who. He turned it down and he hated Doctor Who <laughs> um, uh, because of the fact that his idea of science fiction was not to scare children. Ironic, <laughs> slightly, when you think of the fact yeah, later yeah. on with the Hammer films. But that was 66. His, uh, his idea of uh, science, uh, science fiction then, of course, was a little bit more different than what it caused it Which to be. So that's it. That's our episode on Nigel and Neil. I hope you enjoyed it. I don't know we enjoyed yeah, yeah, an unusual one for us. But uh, Cal, what are we doing next month? We are doing uh, Quentin Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs. You can guarantee we're going to be playing uh, some a brilliant music, music in there. Is. <laughs> Not too sure if we're going to be able to play clips. This might be an iTunes rating one. Or oh, I might have to put a meep <laughs> over it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, oh. Uh, noise or, or, or I don't know we'll do I'll do I'll figure something I'll figure something yeah, away, yeah. but we'll have some music going on there and we'll be talking about how I tried to grow a beard like Mr Pink yeah. when it came out in the uh, yeah. early 90s so thanks for joining us uh, and we'll see you next remember the competition's still open uh, we'll be joining out at Cal's massive hat yeah. <laughs> next, uh, that's not a euphemism <laughs> oh no uh, no as a smile from over, <laughs> from over there thanks for joining us and uh, remember stay to the end of the promos you never quite know what you're going to see bye bye woohoo boom if you would like to voice your opinions in written or vocal form 
then please do email the lads at waffleonpodcast at gmail.com and await your views to be aired and then royally torn apart or praised. If you stalk the Internet and hide in such social networks as Facebook, then why not join the group page? It's easy to do. Just type Waffle On Podcast in the search bar, find the page, and join. This has been a Waffle On production. Copyright Simon Meddings and Mark C. Kelly. Do you remember playing great PC games like King's Quest, Command & Conquer, and X-Wing? Do you remember spending hours tweaking your config sys and auto-exec bat files to eke out just one more K of conventional memory? If you do, then you may be interested in my show, The Upper Memory Block. Every two weeks, we talk in-depth about a game, game series, company, or technology from the DOS and pre-Windows XP gaming era. We'll discuss the story, gameplay, and technology of the games of the time. But more importantly, we're going to focus on what made each game special, interesting stories from their development, and how they shaped what PC gaming is today. If you remember gaming in the late 80s and early 90s, or you're interested in finding out more about it, come join your host Joe in the Upper Memory Block. That's the Upper Memory Block Podcast at umbcast.com, or find it on iTunes. My name is Al. And I'm Joyce. And we're We're huge huge Disneyland Disneyland fans. fans. In fact, we love the Disneyland Resort so much, we host a podcast dedicated to the happiest place on Earth to share that passion with others. That's right. On our show, Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast, we share current resort news, some tips and tricks we've learned over the years to help make your Disneyland Resort vacation the most magical experience ever. We uncover little-known and often-overlooked gems we like to call hidden treasures and even review the attractions and places to eat that make the Disneyland Resort so much fun. And if that wasn't enough, we even share some video episodes to help keep you in that Disney magic state of mind. If you're a longtime fan of the Disneyland Resort or you've just recently discovered the magic, this podcast is for you. You can find Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast at www. Talescast.com and in iTunes. And remember, make, make it, it a, a Mickey, Mickey day. day. Hello, I'm Meds. You're not Meds. <laughs> and I'm Kel. You're not Kel either. I don't even sound like him, do I? I'm trying to. Yeah, I'm I sound not like sure. the Geico lizard. Yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to do that. Anyway, hey, we love Waffle On. Waffle On's fun. I just love the podcast. Meds and Kel, you're so cool. By the way, this is Rick. And this is Amy, and we are the hosts of Take Him With You. It's the weekly podcast where we discuss our geeky Moyer home. Yes, we are geeky. And we're really fun, though. We talk about our faith and how it relates to the world around us. And I absolutely love Star Trek and heavy metal music. It's just too much fun. And I tolerate Star Trek and don't like heavy metal music at all. (laughs) What do you like? I like reading and quiet music and home and garden TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You like some of British sci-fi stuff, right? You know, I do like some sci-fi. I I really do, but um, just I'm not as passionate about it as you are. That's okay. We've lived together for 24 years and... uh, it's okay. Opposites attract, and we're still we're we're still married, eh? Yeah. Eh? Yeah. That's Canadian. That's not English. Oh well. I say we go have a cup of tea. In, indeed. Indeed. Indubitably. Indubitably. I can't even say that. You do like tea, though. I do like tea. Yes. Earl Grey, hot. 
question. Well, anyway, if you get a chance to listen to our podcast, do so. It's at TakeHimWithYou.com, or you can find us on... iTunes. Just look up Take Him With You. And you can hit the little subscribe button, and it's free. Yep. So thanks, Meds and Kel. Have a great day, and uh, thanks for uh, letting us do our promo. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Tea time. Have you ever experienced uncontrollable bouts of geekdom? If so, the Anomaly podcast may be right for you. In clinical studies, Anomaly's interviews, convention reports, commentary on geek culture, games, sci-fi and fantasy television, literature, and film provided a feeling of fullness while promoting health for optimal geekiness. The Anomaly podcast is not suitable for all people. Only geekily active cool chicks with a healthy sense of humor should listen. Geekily active cool guys should listen, too. Anomaly has resulted in sudden fits of squee. Broad smiles may appear without warning and could become permanent. The most common side effects of Anomaly are unconsciously joining in the Gamma Quadrant golf clap, out loud, at work, to the amusement of co-workers, and attempting to interject opinions aloud to hosts who can't hear the listener. But in all cases, the benefits outweigh the risks. Ask your anomaly if you're healthy enough for entertainment of this caliber. You don't need a doctor's messy handwriting to obtain a free subscription. Anomaly is available over-the-counter at Stitcher Radio and in the iTunes, Zune, and BlackBerry stores. You can also stream episodes of Anomaly and Anomaly Supplemental at anomalypodcast.com. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. Just one one-hour episode provides 24 hours of relief and never leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Music by jewelbeat.com.